world of literature, with the world of music, and that is actually at the heart of this chamber music festival. Um, I just wanted to mention that this discussion today is really focused on the Friday's concert uh, for music I see, which is uh, called Songs of Love, Longing, and Loss. Um, and there are two song cycles by Tchaikovsky and Schumann. Uh, a set of songs by Tchaikovsky, it's not actually But anyway, um, the concert is free. It will take place at Trinity Episcopal Church in downtown Iowa City on College Street at 7.30. Everybody is invited, bring your friends, just, just come. Now this is the second of three concerts uh, in the festival. The first one will take place tomorrow night, and this is um, maybe of interest to, to you also. Uh, these are, this will be music for string quartet and soprano, and features two works that include poetry. One is a work, uh, a brand new work, really literally out of the press, um, by David Gomper, who is the director of the Center for New Music here at the university. And he has worked with the poet Marvin Bell, Iowa's first poet laureate, a uh, long, long time member of the uh, faculty of the Writers' Workshop. Um, Marvin has written five new poems that uh, David has set for soprano and string quartet. And then the second work on the program is Arnold Schoenberg's Second Quartet, which also includes two movements uh, with, that are settings for, uh, for poetry. And then the third concert, which is on, um, on Saturday night, is a theatrical version of Stravinsky's um, A Soldier's Tale with a new libretto or text written in the 1990s, so well after the uh, composition of this work, um, by Kurt Vonnegut. Um, and it tells the story of Eddie Slovic, who was the only person executed for desertion during the Second World War. Um, so that is Saturday night. That concert takes place at the Angler Theater downtown on Washington Street. It is also free and no tickets are required. I have some information, some flyers, if you'd like to pick them up um, on your way out. Um, but right now I'd like to just very briefly introduce our, um, our speakers uh, and musicians today. Uh, poet Robert Hernandez, uh, soprano Megan Bruce, and pianist Connor Panic. Megan and Connor will be uh, performing the songs on Friday night. And as you know, this, uh, the title of this discussion is Song Cycles and Poetic Sequences, Love and Loss in Poetry and Song. So, Robert. Great, thank you very much. Uh, thank you all for coming. Um, very happy to be here. I'm going to be sort of emceeing and moderating a little bit. Um, I have a couple of announcements. Please turn off your phones if you haven't already. Um, and tomorrow, the 11th hour, will feature B.K. Lauren and Juliet Patterson talking about poetry for prose writers 
and we will be back in 101 biology for those who are here at the festival. Um, so what I need to do, I think, uh, is provide a little context uh, for the people that we're going to be talking about and for the structure of what we're going to be doing today. Uh, it's going to be something of a conversation, uh, but it requires a, a bit of context because we're looking at uh, particular work, uh, the Discherleben uh, of uh, Robert Schumann. Um, so I'll read a little bit of uh, this, these backgrounds for, these, uh, for the poet Heinrich Heine and of, of Robert Schumann, uh, and I'll talk about uh, how we're going to proceed today. Um, so we'll be talking today, uh, each from the standpoint of our respective disciplines, about the poet Heinrich Heine and the composer Robert Schumann. Uh, and I thought I should start by introducing um, a little help from the internet uh, each. Um, so I'll start with Heine. Uh, Heinrich Heine, born Harry Heine, and uh, changed his name to Christian Johann Heinrich Heine, um, following a con <laughs> conversion to Christianity uh, from Judaism for reasons that you can imagine, um, was one of the most significant German poets of the 19th century. He was also a journalist, essayist, and literary critic. He is best known outside of Germany for his early lyric poetry, which was set to music in the form of Lieder art songs by composers such as Robert Schumann and Franz Schubert. Heine's later verse in prose is distinguished by its satirical wit and irony. His radical political views led to many of his works being banned by German authorities. Uh, and Heine spent the last 25 years of his life as an expatriate in Paris. Um, a couple of interesting things about Heine uh, that came up. Uh, in Berlin, as a student, uh, he, att he attended lectures by the philosopher uh, Hegel, which is uh, very interesting. He also later had a relationship with Karl Marx, uh, which is extremely interesting. As you know, uh, Marx, Marx is an inverted Hegelianism. We're moving from spirit to materialism. Um, he had a real love for Germany, uh, but a, a distaste for its, for its nationalisms. Um, and finally, he settled in Paris, where he became something of a radical, pardon me, a utopian, and was, uh, interestingly enough for me, as a poet, uh, a friend of the poet Gerard de Neuvel. Um, in the end, he was confined due to illness uh, to bed for the last eight years of his life. Um, the poetry of Heine's that Schumann took up for his Discherleben, uh, which is what we'll be talking about today, was from the uh, lyric intermezzos. Uh, now, the Discherleben consists of 16 songs from this longer work of Heine's, uh, that's 65 poems, uh, lyric, lyrical intermezzos, uh, which chronicles sort of the beginnings of love, its struggles, denials, eventual resignations, uh, very much like the stages of death. It's very, very uh, melodramatic, and you, you kind of feel for the guy. Um, it's wonderful, though, very, very beautiful. Uh, it was written in 1840. Um, so that's a little on Heine. Uh, for those who don't know much about Schumann, also an extremely interesting character, uh, Robert Schumann, uh, born 1810, died 1856, uh, is widely regarded as one of the greatest composers of the Romantic era. Um, in 1840, this is some of what will come up today, it's related to uh, the Discherleben. In 1840, against her father's wishes, always a bad thing, um, Schumann married the pianist Clara Weick, uh, thank you, um, daughter of his former teacher the day before she legally came of age at 21. Such bad luck. Had they waited one day, they would have had no longer needed to have had the father's consent, absence of which led to a long and acrimonious legal battle, which found in favor, uh, thankfully, of Clara and Robert. Clara also composed music, and had a considerable concert career, the earnings from which formed a substantial part of her father's fortune. 
Um, for the last two years of his life, after an attempted suicide, uh, Shimon was confined to a mental institution at his own request. Now, I want to read from uh, Megan's description, uh, which she sent along, in which, actually, I, I apologize for this, but we still have enough time, and these can get passed around. We have handouts for you uh, that I think have Megan's descriptions on them. This is entirely my fault. But something that I think we're going to apply. So, start here, and then, thank you. Okay. Um, so I'd like to read a little from Megan's uh, description um, of sort of what's going on here uh, with Ms. Shirley and uh, Schumann. So this is Megan. Um, let's see. One moment. Okay. Do you remember what you wrote? I'll just make something up. Uh, in the year 1840, Robert Schumann shows 20 poems from Heinrich Heine's uh, lyric intermezzos set as a song cycle. Later he would whittle this down to 16, 16 songs. The cycle is widely considered to be one of his greatest musical achievements. That same year he wrote approximately one-third of his entire works that same year. Um, so, uh, what do they call that? A magic year? People have those. The reason he met the love of his life, Clara, and found out that her father strongly disapproved of their union. Uh, although Schumann chose only 16 of the 65 songs of Heine's lyric intermezzos, he chose to keep the first and last in their same position in the song cycle. The cycle follows the man's first de declaration of undying commitment in love in the first poem to this same man's utter defeat and heartbreak in the last. Uh, these texts are starkly different from one another, uh, as, are the musical setting, as are the musical settings of both with the first song's vocal line moving freely around and lifting to a higher register while the piano wistfully plays arpeggios. Uh, in contrast, the vocal line in the last song is plodding and moves ever downward, and the piano plays an extended postlude, possibly as a reminder of the emotional journey the, the, emotional journey the protagonist has just been through. So, lovely. Um, so there's that. Um, what we're going to be talking a, uh, a bit about today um, <coughs> is these pieces, uh, but also about the dialogue between the music and the poetry and the relevance of that dialogue to our work as artists, musicians, and in my case, poets. Um, I think I should probably first tell you who we are now that we've finished Heine uh, and Schumann. Uh, and so I'll start by introducing Megan, and I'll move through this um, uh, quickly. Um, praise for her, quote, vocal warmth, even line, natural expre expression, ex pardon me, expressiveness, and glorious instrument, Iowa native uh, Megan Bruce, is quickly establishing herself as a unique and versatile soprano to watch. Known for her consistently dynamic performances, Miss Bruce's rising career has included many traditional operatic roles in concerts, both in the, in the United States and abroad. Um, that's perfect. Does that work? Okay. Uh, she, she's, she's done a lot more. Um, a bunch of stuff. She's very excited to have the chance to return to Iowa City for Music IC a second time. Miss Bruce resides in New York City and holds degrees from both the Manhattan School of Music and the Oberlin Conservatory of Music. Uh, and now Connor's bio, which uh, technology allows me to access via the internet. Um, so, um, Connor Hennick, a pianist that, quote, defies description for some, 
uh, and that's Harry Rolnick uh, and Concerto Net, and recalls, quote, a young Peter Serkin for others, and that's Anthony Tamasini in the New York Time, uh, Times. Uh, Connor Hennick has performed throughout the United States, Europe, and Asia, and collaborated with some of the world's leading conductors, including uh, Pierre Boulet, David Robertson, and James Levine. Um, he, he lives in currently a doctoral, well, currently having finished his doctorate uh, at Juilliard. Congrats, let's give him a hand. Oh. Uh, incredible. I'm a doctoral candidate myself, so I know how you know awful that, that can be, um, and wonderful. Uh, currently a doctoral candidate, now PhD, uh, at the Juilliard School. Uh, he resides in Brooklyn, New York. That's Connor. Um, I um, am a graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop, where I was a teaching writing fellow, uh, and I'm currently assistant professor and distinguished Reynolds Chair in Creative Writing at the University of Nebraska Kearney which I'm just in the process of moving to right now as we speak. There are people filling my moving truck. Um, it's true. Um, uh, what else to say about me? I'm, I'm the author of two books of poetry uh, from Canarian Books, and I have a third book coming out. Uh, I also am the author of a book of images called uh, Pearls Before Swine, and I'm currently at work on translations of Mallarmé, a few of which are forthcoming in various journals. Um, so that's us. Anything else you, you guys would like to add? Connor and I both went to City High. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah. Home, hometown crowd, is, that's a good, yeah. a good addition. That's important. That's fun. <laughs> Excellent. Represent. Um, okay, so what I was hoping we could do uh, to start um, is that um, we can each speak for a couple of minutes, very briefly, right? Just a couple of minutes about why this particular Schumann piece is of interest, um, or about the broader relationships of music to poetry. Um, I'm curious about what interests you both uh, in these pieces, perhaps. Uh, why they're important to pay close attention to now. Um, the relationship, again, between uh, poetry and music. Um, and I was thinking we could just very briefly move through that. And then next, um, after all that's done, what we're going to do is we're going to look at individual pieces uh, from the Dichterlieben, uh, and uh, I'll read the poem, I'll read the Heine poem, uh, they'll play the music corresponding to that poem, and then there'll be a little bit of a discussion. Um, so I was thinking for this sort of broader contextual, you know, why are we looking at the Dichterlieben, uh, what's of interest to us, etc. I would start with Megan, if that's okay? Yeah, so. Um, well, I... When I was in school, I studied mostly opera, um, so I do I do sing operas, um, which of course are on a much huger scale um, than song cycles. Um, but I actually much prefer. Don't tell my voice teacher. I much prefer to sing art song and German lieder than opera, just because I I like the idea that they're little tiny beautiful little presents instead of one larger thing. Um, and you can fit so, there's so much you can fit in a little two-page song. You don't need to fit in all of these extra words. It's just kind of, you know, you don't need them. You don't need them. Um, and I, I love Dichterliebe, first of all, because I, I study German and I love, I love German in the way that it sounds and feels. Um, but I also love it because a lot of times in vocal music, uh, the vocalist is, is it, and the piano is just kind of hanging out underneath and it just gives you 
moderate context and emotional stability, but doesn't have any sort of real role. Um, and these are very much duets between the piano and the voice, which is interesting to me, especially given that we're talking about the music is all about a relationship between two people. So I, I find that very interesting. Yeah, I, the, the role of both um, the singer and the pianist in this piece is maybe not completely unique, but I think the way that it's held, uh, handled in this piece is, is really quite extraordinary. And Megan was saying that they're duets, and certainly there's an equal partnership in these pieces. But I think the actual role of both uh, musicians is, is very interesting. Um, the, the voice is, um, I mean, obviously the, the one speaking, and you sort of feel their pain more than you feel the pianist's pain. <laughs> um, because, I mean, they're sort of hard on sleeve, just uh, bleeding out in front of you. Um, but the, the pianist has this interesting role. It's sort of similar to the way like a, a chorus behaves in like an Elizabethan play or like a chorus literally in like a Mozart opera, like Magic Flute or something, where they have this very um, removed sort of uh, neutral state where they are allowed to comment on, on the poetry or the, the, the drama or the action or something. And I, I feel the pianist in this piece is sort of like the stoic um, nonpartisan member of the of the drama. They sort of uh, are allowed, almost every song ends with a little postlude on the piano. The, the last song ends with an extended, uh, almost a, a piano piece in of itself. And these postludes provide a sort of a commentary that the singer isn't able to because the singer is so consumed in all of this like German romantic poetry. And the pianist has, has these very poignant uh, sort of commentaries at the end of each of these songs that, uh, as a pianist, it's really great because, you know, I'm not oom-chucking um around, but I, I'm a very active uh, participant in the drama within the, in a completely different way than the, the voices. So that's, that's an interesting aspect for me. Also, I mean, the music, as, as you'll hear if you don't know this piece already, is some of the most ravishing, beautiful, um, I ambiguous uh, music that I think Schumann ever wrote, and certainly uh, among all the really great song cycles, of which there are many, this piece is uh, elusive and, and mysterious, I think, in, in captivating ways. So. As a poet, you know, I have um, a particular interest in lyric, uh, which is a very specific tradition coming out of ancient Greece um, and has a very kind of distinct inflection uh, as it moves through Germany. Um, Heine is, is uh, unlike, say, Oberlin, uh, one of the, the lesser discussed um, of this era's German poets. Uh, and I sat down to read the, the entire book of Lyric Intermezzos, and, you know, they were just they were really wonderful. We, th there was a, a note that I came across somewhere that talked about these poems having been written before Heine's uh, satirical turn, his sort of caustic turn, uh, and they are very much, they do very much seem sincere, even as, you know, like mel mel romantic melodrama, you know, is a little much. Uh, um, in any event, uh, my particular interest in the lyric, it, you know, is such that I think there are a couple of types of lyric. I, I see with these, um, these Heine poems, a, uh, an attempt to fuse sound and sense, and there's, there's obviously uh, a close attention, as there would be at this time, uh, to, to form and meter. Um, at, but at, you know, there's a different kind of lyric, too, I think, uh, of the sort that you would maybe associate with uh, 
uh, you know, later contemporary uh, uh, musicians, uh, someone like Schoenberg, right, who is singing the self, the, the, the self, this, it's sort of like the self singing the, the lack that it is and in singing attempting to suture that lack, right? Uh, and, um, but we're not dealing with that with, with time, you know, it's uh, sound and sense are sort of fused here. Um, but as lyrics, I think they're, they're fascinating and cool. In any event, okay, so I think we should probably just um, jump right into these pieces. And we were going to look at uh, the first in the sequence, uh, uh, number 11, which has a kind of dissonance to it between uh, the words and the music, and the singing and the, and the, and the music. Uh, and then we're going to look at the final, we have time, uh, song in the sequence. Uh, and so again, I'll read the poem. Um, they'll perform, and then we'll have a little bit of a discussion uh, about what's going on. So. This is from the Lyric of Dimenso. All right. Number one. Twas in the magic month of May when all the buds were springing. My heart was filled with fervors, with dreams, and young love clinging. Twas in the magic month of May when every bird was singing. I poured out all the raptures with which my heart was ringing. Thank you. 
So we talked a little bit in the email back and forth about a kind of mimetic function here, um, how the music attempts to sort of mimic the emotional content of the poem uh, and of uh, Schumann's own life. Um, and I'm wondering what you see as some of the, um, I don't know, the challenges of that, um, how one maybe thinks about subver subverting that, or how the music works against that, or other things that you're interested in in this this first um, piece. Um, for me, the I don't know. I tend to kind of work music outward, and I think the music says so much about the poetry and the the sentiment that's happening, and. I think this opening is one of the most extraordinary things in, in, I mean, so much of romantic music because it's so elusive. You have no idea where you are, musically speaking. Um, not to get too uh, nerdy technical, but um, this, it's a piece that has three sharps, which generally means uh, A major, um, or an F sharp minor which is the same key signature, and it, it kind of begins simply enough on, on the dominant, which is the fifth degree. It's a very sort of common beginning to a piece, say, an F-sharp minor, but then we immediately get... That's the first harmony we hear, and it, the whole thing just sort of kind of seeps out and, and bleeds into this harmony in the sound world that as listeners and as performers we have no orientation we have no idea the uh, to use like a sort of literary thing the grammar of the harmony is completely scrambled we have no concept of how this is going to play out